That was really sweet. I am so happy to be back here with you again. Thank you so much for the privilege of allowing me to come back and share with you once again. I'm so grateful to um, Pastor Dexter and Pastor Kelly for allowing me to come and share. I want to thank you ladies that are visiting with us and thank you so much for the music. That was just beautiful. What a preparation of our hearts before we look into the word. So we appreciate that. And thank you, ladies, that are part of the church here for the, the goodies you've prepared, the decorating, the work you've put in, into preparing for this conference. We're all very grateful. I'd like for us to, once again, just look to the Lord in prayer for just a moment before we open up his word. Lord, our hearts are just in awe of you. Just your mercy and your grace and your faithfulness to us. We thank you, Lord, that you've carried us through another year. And you've taught us and you've drawn us to yourself. And I pray that you would just bless these ladies and bless this time that we have together. Lord, we, our heart's desire is to be more like Christ. It's to bring you glory. And so I pray that what we look at this morning would serve that purpose. I pray the Lord Jesus would be lifted up, that my sisters would be encouraged, and Lord, that you would be glorified. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name, amen. The story is told of a church which was experiencing a lot of dissension and um, division among the congregation. And one Sunday morning after the service, the pastor stood behind the pulpit and he said, this evening in the service, I will be exposing the member who is going to split our church. Well, eyebrows were raised and people were looking at one another and he said, I want to encourage you to invite everyone you know that has any affiliation with this church to be here for the service tonight. And so that afternoon, the phone lines were hot. Women rushed through dinner. Men missed their Sunday afternoon naps. And people were on the telephone. You're not going to believe this. The pastor is actually planning to expose the member who is going to divide or split our church. Well, he said he got to the church that evening and cars were lined up and down the street. The parking lot was full. Someone had even taken the liberty to take his spot, which was marked for the pastor. He walked into the church. He said he'd never seen the building that full. Every seat was taken. People were lined, standing up along the back. Chairs were in the aisles. And he mounted the pulpit and he said, now I realize that many of you are here because you've heard that I am going to expose the member who is going to divide or split our church. And so I am. James 3.5 tells us that the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. And how many churches, homes, families, all sorts of relationships has an unbridled tongue divided and severed. 
And so in this time together, I want us to consider this little member of our bodies, this small, insignificant, or seemingly insignificant organ that possesses so much power to do great damage or great good, to control us and influence everything we do. Benjamin Franklin once wisely said, a slip of the foot you may soon recover, but a slip of the tongue you may never get over. And so I'd like for you to turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 2. James 3, 2. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless God our Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. I want us, first of all, to consider the significance or the importance of the tongue. You know, our tongues are such small members of our body. We don't give them much thought like we do other parts of our body. I mean, think about our faces. We wash our faces, we cleanse them, we moisturize them, we put cosmetics on them. And then our hair, how much time do we spend on our hair in a year's time? We shampoo it, condition it, style it, brush it, color it, cut it. We exercise, well, some of us exercise, to flatten our tummies and strengthen other parts of our body. But we just don't give much thought to our tongues. And maybe we should be more aware of this little organ, especially when we consider how much irreparable damage it has caused in so many relationships. My husband and I went to Liberty University back when it was Liberty Baptist College, back in the mid-70s. And there was a well-known old-time evangelist who would come regularly and preach at the church there affiliated with the school. And this man used a lot of humor, and he used to love to tell jokes making fun of women to get a laugh. And I still remember some of his jokes, even though that was 45 years ago. 
And I remember one time he told about a woman, he said after he had preached in a service, a lady came forward to him and she told him she'd been guilty of gossip and criticism. And she said, Dr. Lakin, I just want to lay my tongue on the altar. And he said he looked at her and said, lady, there's not an altar that long in this whole county. Now, I don't really think that conversation took place. I think he made it up. I hope he made it up. But, you know, there's always a little truth in humor. That's what makes jokes funny. And as women, we're often known for not being able to control our tongues. That's how women are portrayed, as not being able to control their words. Well, James personifies the tongue here as the representative of human depravity. He teaches us that the tongue is a true barometer of our spiritual progress. It's the greatest single indicator of the condition of our hearts. Now, when we think of spiritual maturity, we often think, how long has someone known the Lord? How involved are they in the church? How much knowledge do they have of the scripture? But this passage says if a person is able to control their tongue, then they are a perfect or a mature person. So a person who can control their speech is really a mature Christian. James gives us three illustrations that demonstrate the power that this small member holds. First, he compares the tongue to a little bit that's placed in the mouth of a horse. You know, horses are big, powerful creatures, but they can be controlled just by placing a little piece of metal in their mouths. Secondly, he compares the, the tongue to a small rudder on a ship. And again, a captain can control a huge sailing vessel with a relatively small rudder on that ship. And the third analogy he uses is a fire. We all know that a small fire can do significant damage. Massive forests have been destroyed because of the drop of one careless person dropping a cigarette or a smoldering match. And though the tongue is small, it is also capable of accomplishing great things, either for good or for evil. Proverbs 18.21 tells us death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's a powerful statement. In other words, the greatest good as well as the greatest harm can come from our words. We have the ability to tear down and destroy or to build up and encourage and heal with our words. We can use our tongues to destroy our homes, to hurt our families, to divide our churches or tarnish the reputation of others and grieve God in the process of all of that. Or we can use our tongues to mend relationships, to encourage our family members, to edify our brothers and sisters in Christ, to share the gospel, and most importantly, to glorify God with our words. There's a Chinese proverb that says, A man's conversation is a mirror of his thoughts. Well, the Bible basically says the same thing in Matthew 12. Out of the abundance of the heart, 
the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. So my first challenge to you, as well as to myself, is to consider the great power that we hold in our words. The second thing I want us to think about are some of the specific sins of the tongue. James says if we can bridle our tongues, we can control our whole body. There is no area where we're more likely to offend than in our words. It's a frailty of all men. It's a struggle that we all have if we're honest. There's a common proneness to offend with our words. And you know, I am amazed at how much the scripture has to say about the words that we speak. I challenge you just to go through the book of Proverbs and look at all the verses that speak of the tongue, that speak of our words. There are so many ways we can sin with our lips. First, there's lying and deceit. One of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Proverbs 6 tells us that God hates a lying tongue. He hates it, and he hates a false witness who speaks lies. Proverbs 4.24 instructs us, put away from you a deceitful mouth, and perverse lips put far from you. So one good test before we speak is, is it true? Is what I'm about to say absolutely true? The Bible also warns us about speaking harsh and unkind words. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The um, Washington Irving said, A sharp tongue is the only edge tool that grows keener with constant use. Proverbs 31, 26 tells us about the virtuous woman, that she opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. When I was growing up, my sweet mama used to tell me, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Were you all taught that as well by your mothers? Well, you know, it's a good practice. It's a good habit to put into practice. So a second test before we speak is, is it kind? Is it kind? The scripture also cautions us against excessive speech. Proverbs 10, 19, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. You do know the more you talk, the more prone you are to sin with your lips. The Lord has dealt with me so many times about this. I'm a talker, and I can get to talking and invariably say something that I regret saying. That's why so often I have to go back to those closest to me and ask them to forgive me for things that I have said on the spur of the moment that I should not have said. Someone said, the less men think, the more they talk. And we need to think before we speak. We need to consider the weight of our words before we speak it. Because once it's spoken, we can't take it back. We can apologize. We can regret it. But they're, they're spoken. 
Proverbs 17, 28 says, even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive or intelligent. My husband likes to say, it's better to keep your mouth shut and let people think you're stupid than to open your mouth and leave no room for doubt. And, you know, someone said, as long as a word remains unspoken, you are its master. But once you utter it, you are its slave. So another good test is, is it necessary? Is it necessary? And then where I want to spend the bulk of our time is on this next sin of the lips, and that is gossip and slander. Another thing that we're told in Proverbs 6 that God hates. Now think about that. When the scripture says God hates something, that's strong language. And the Bible says God hates one who sows discord among the brethren. Proverbs 10, 18b says, whoever spreads slander is a fool. I still remember as a kid, and I'm sure many of you do too, on the playground, when mean things would be, be said, we, we would come back. I've said it myself, and I've heard it said so many times. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's one of the biggest childhood lies ever told. Words do hurt. And sometimes they can hurt for a lifetime. One author said, a judicious silence is always better than truth spoken without charity. My husband talked last night about the necessity of going to those who have sinned against us and confronting them. But that needs to always be done in love and gentleness. And the scripture says, knowing in our hearts that we're capable of the same sin, knowing our own weakness. James 4.11 admonishes us, do not speak evil of another brethren. I mean, the scripture is so plain. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law... You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? And Titus 3, 1 and 2 says, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. It can't get any plainer than that. Do not speak evil of one another. Speak evil of no one. That's as simple and easy to understand as anything in the Bible. A few years ago, my husband and I were traveling with a missionary in Italy in his car, and we were going up into the mountains to a marriage retreat where we were going to be speaking. And as we were riding along, a well-known preacher's name came up, and my husband, who has given me permission to share this, he has shared it publicly himself, he began to subtly criticize this man. And, you know, we're so, we're so good at that, making our criticism kind of sound like it's not criticism. And he began to criticize this man. And when he finished speaking, this missionary friend of ours said, Brother, could we just stop right now and pray for him? 
So we did. As we rode in the car, we stopped and we prayed for that preacher. Well, later in the week, another man's name came up, and Don began to share some negative things about him. Now, he's not always critical. I don't want to give you that impression. But he began to share some negative things. And again, our friend Keith said, Brother, could we just stop and pray for him? And we did. We stopped and prayed. Well, my dear husband got the message. And he wasn't critical the rest of the time we were there. (laughs) But, you know, I've thought about that since. That's a good challenge for all of us. When we're tempted to gossip, or to be critical of others, instead of talking to other people about them, if we will just stop and talk to the Lord about it and pray for them, it's good for them and it's good for us, and it brings glory to God. 1 Peter 4.15 says, Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. That's shocking to me, that God lists the sin of being a busybody with the sins of murder and thievery. We need to ask the Lord to show us, to allow us to see slander and gossip the way he sees it, instead of justifying it or minimizing it. Immediately after he tells us that the tongue is full of deadly poison, James exposes the shameful hypocrisy of blessing God and cursing men out of the same mouth. It grieves the heart of God when we praise him with our lips, but then we speak evil of people created in his image. When we slander those that Christ gave his precious blood to redeem, in a very real sense, we malign God, who is their creator. And the scripture says this ought not to be done. It's shameful. He not only exposes the hypocrisy, but the gross pretense of this. And he gives an alarming warning to those who make this their normal practice. In verses 11 and 12 of James 3, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? No spring yields both salt water and fresh. And as you continue to read in this third chapter of James, you find the root of this bitter water that springs forth from our lips. And we're told that it's bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. He tells us that this wisdom is earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. But the wisdom from above is pure and peaceable and gentle. It's willing to yield, and it's full of mercy. And that's why any professing Christian who finds themselves consistently spewing out bitter, caustic, cutting words, should ask God to search their hearts. When a person is genuinely born again, he's given a new heart. And that new heart is evidenced in new speech. Our speech changes. And James tells us here, a good indicator of what's going on in our hearts is what comes out of our mouth. 
You know, the scribes and the Pharisees were so proud of their outward obedience. They kept the law to a T. But the Lord Jesus boldly called them hypocrites. And this is what he had to say in Matthew 15. He said, these people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And he went on to say that their words were just an indication of the true problem, which was their heart. In verse 18, those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. You know, there's an old adage that says, whatever's in the well will come up in the bucket. And that's a biblical truth. Whatever is in our hearts will eventually come out of our lips. Although many times that doesn't happen until we have external pressure placed on us. Far too often, it's during the stressful moments that what is really deep down inside comes pouring out. I love Amy Carmichael's words. She said, a cup brimful of sweetness cannot spill even one drop of bitter water, no matter how suddenly jarred. What If it's not down in here, it's not going to come out of our mouths. In the second chapter of Titus, the older women are instructed to teach, to train, and, and disciple the younger women. But Titus doesn't say that every older woman should be doing that. There are qualifications that the older women are to fill before they teach the younger women. And one of them is that they are not to be slanderers. This means they're not to be prone to malicious gossip. The older ladies should not be teaching the younger women if they are consistently sowers of discord, if they're consistently critical of other people. The Greek word that's used there in Titus 2 is diabolus. Do you recognize that? Diabolical. Diabolus. That word is used 34 times in the New Testament to describe Satan. The arch slanderer, the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies. And when we slander or gossip or falsely accuse others, in a very real sense, we're joining league with the enemy of our souls. We're helping him do his dirty work. And when women who profess to know Christ as their Savior use their tongues to hurt others, it's such a poor example before the younger women in the church and the younger Christians around us. Matthew Henry, the English commentator, said, Our tongues need to be watched, guarded, and governed as much as an unruly beast or a hurtful or poisonous creature. He went on to get, give excellent advice that we would all be wise to heed. He said, us, he said, let us learn to be severe in judging ourselves and charitable in our judgment of others. Severe in judging ourselves, but charitable in our judgment of others. So a fourth test before we speak is, is it edifying to others and is it glorifying to God? And lastly, I want to spend the last few moments talking about the sanctifying of the tongue. I feel very strongly about this subject for three reasons. First, 
The Bible has so many strong warnings about the use of our tongues. So I know it's important to my Heavenly Father. Secondly, because after being in the ministry for over 45 years, I have seen over and over again the irreparable damage and the great harm that unbridled tongues can cause. And lastly, I can personally relate to what the apostle, or not the apostle, what James wrote. The greatest sin struggle I have is with my tongue. And after walking with the Lord for more than four and a half decades, I still have to ask my husband, my children, my closest friends at times, would you forgive me? I should not have said that about that person. I should not have spoken those words. We must guard against the vices of the tongue and watch over our words. We can't be slack in this area. The Puritan preacher Thomas Watson said, God has given every man two natural fences in regard to our words, the teeth and the lips. And he's given every Christian a third fence, and that is the Holy Spirit. And ladies, we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit when he tells us. Sometimes I will be getting ready to say something, and it's as if the Holy Spirit puts his hand over my mouth. Don't you dare speak that. Don't you say that. And sometimes after I speak it, the Holy Spirit convicts me. You need to ask forgiveness for that. That grieved my heart. We need to develop a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit in the words that we speak. And, you know, I find that many times if we struggle with a specific sin, it's helpful to find the root of that sin. And as I said, at the end of James 3, we see the root of the struggle And it's from pride. It's from having a prideful opinion of ourselves. Look down in James 3 at verse 13. Beginning in verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Do you see the root of hurtful, boastful, caustic, bitter words? It's envy and self-seeking or pride. And whenever we are looking down on others, we can be sure that we're thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We're really not recognizing our own weaknesses. The term that's translated bitter in verse 14, it speaks of water that is undrinkable. And when that word is combined with envy or jealousy, it's speaking of a harsh, resentful attitude towards others. Self-seeking, or as it's sometimes translated, selfish ambition, conveys the idea that I am going to achieve my agenda no matter what. No matter who I have to step on, who I have to hurt, who I have to injure, I'm going to get what I want. And the Bible says that that kind of wisdom is earthly. It's 
natural. It either comes from within my own sinful heart or it is demonic. It comes from the evil one. And when we speak out of jealousy, selfishness, and prideful boasting, we are reflecting the character of Satan, not the character of the Lord Jesus. Fleshly or demonic wisdom is demonstrated by selfishly trying to make ourselves look better by putting others down. And it steps on others to promote oneself. And we see this all the time in business and in politics. And sadly, even sometimes in the church. But I want you to look at the contrast in verses 17 and 18. Look at the contrast of the wisdom from above. It's pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Godly wisdom is just the opposite. It's pure and it's gentle and it's full of mercy and it promotes peace. And this kind of wisdom is revealed in someone who is willing to suffer mistreatment and difficulty with kindness and humility and no thought of revenge. It shows concern and mercy for those who are hurting and it can forgive quickly. It doesn't show partiality. In other words, it doesn't make unfair distinctions. And it's without hypocrisy, unlike those who praise God and curse others out of the same mouth. I'm sure many of you are familiar with Jonathan Edwards, the, one of the leaders of the First Great Awakening in the 18th century and probably the most brilliant theologian our country has ever produced. Before he was 20 years old, he recorded 70 personal resolutions in his journal. And he would read over those resolutions once a week. I just want to share four with you relating to the tongue. He wrote, resolved in narrations never to speak anything but the pure and simple truth. Our first test, is it true? Resolved never to speak ill of anyone so that it shall tend to his dishonor. Is it edifying? Resolved that I will endeavor always to keep in a kind manner of acting and speaking in all places and in all companies. Let there be something of kindness in all I speak. Is it kind? He also wrote, resolved to do always what I can toward making, maintaining, and preserving peace. Is it necessary? Jonathan Edwards did not make those resolutions rashly or relying on his own strength. He looked to God to help him because he wrote, being sensible that I am unable with, to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. Ladies, in verse 7, we're told that our tongues are worse than all kinds of fierce, savage creatures that no man can tame. You know, lions can be tamed to some degree. 
Even some snakes can be tamed. But the Bible says no man can tame the tongue. There is only one who can control our tongues. And we need the Holy Spirit's help to be self-controlled in our speech. Ephesians 4, 25 through 32 gives us some really helpful instruction in this area. It says, therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, clamor, anger, and evil speaking or slander be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So, dear sisters, if you have been guilty of sinning against the Lord with your lips, the first thing to do is repent. Ask God to forgive you, to cleanse you. And secondly, if you've hurt or offended others with your words, you need to go to them and ask for forgiveness. And then Ephesians says we are to put off those behaviors. We are to lay them aside, just like when we're cooking and an apron gets food and crud all over it. We take it off and we lay it aside because it's dirty. We are to lay aside these evil things that we do with our tongues, but we don't stop there. The scripture doesn't just say put away lying but we are to put on the truth. We are to consistently speak truth. We're not simply to stop using corrupt or filthy words, but we are to speak words that impart grace to other people. We're not just called upon to put away bitterness and anger and wrath and clamor and slander, but on the contrary, we are to be kind to each other, tenderhearted and forgiving as God has forgiven us in Christ. While the word of God clearly shares, exposes the great destruction that can be done with our words, it also teaches that we can use our words for great good. I don't want you to leave here just thinking about what you shouldn't do with your tongue, but we need to be encouraged to use our tongues for the glory of God. It's so encouraging to realize that we can utterfy others with our speech. We can glorify God with our words. In the book of Proverbs, we not only find many ways that we can sin with our tongues, but we also see the blessing of using our tongues for the glory of God. We can be used by the Lord to impart wisdom and knowledge to others. Proverbs 10.21 says, The lips of the righteous feed many. What a blessing! that we can help others grow with our words. We can also strengthen and cheer those around us with our words. Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Proverbs 12, 18b, the tongue of the wise promotes health. 
I really love the beautiful word picture in Proverbs 25, 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. That's such a beautiful word picture. I desire to use my words, my tongue, as an instrument to encourage and build up, to heal and exhort, and most importantly, to bring glory to God. And I believe that's your desire too. I believe that's why you're here today. And so I would leave you with the prayer of the psalmist and pray that it would be the prayer of each of us each day. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. May he make it so for the good of those around us, for our own spiritual help, and for the glory of God. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Raina, I'm going to turn this over to you and let you close us in prayer. Thank you again. Food that we're about to consume. I 